I think we're recording. Uh, yeah, we're recording. Welcome to the Tim Biscuit Podcast. Today we have a new guest, and that is, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, I am Julie Kent, MBE. I live in Gloucestershire. Um, I'm a charity queen, and I play the saxophone, and that's it, really. That's it. Before we get on with the podcast, I just want to say a massive thanks and shout out to our sponsors that are RoomSilk.com, the Revered Care Company, and Tenga.co.uk, the sex toy company. Now, with both these companies, you can get 10% off your first order or orders by using the code TINBISCUIT. That's the code TINBISCUIT, capital T, capital B. Use that at checkout and you get 10% off your first order or orders. So mm. there we go. So you so you play the saxophone and you're an MBE. Uh, where to start? Um <laughs> What came first, the saxophone or like the MBE? Uh, the MBE is quite new. That came in COVID. Um, playing the saxophone, but I played the flute first. When I was nine, I wanted to play something, and so I started on the flute. And then I joined this jazz orchestra, and all the flutes were quiet at the front, and all <laughs> the people having fun were the trombones and the trumpets and the saxophones, and they used to cause trouble and be told off all the time. So I decided I wanted to play one of those, and I chose the saxophone because I thought that was quite cool. It's quite an odd instrument to play, I like, could have thought, because it's like the reed as well, isn't it? Yeah, but it's um, it's actually quite easy, the saxophone, and it's the same fingering as the flute, so I picked it up really quickly. It's mm-hmm. not it's not as difficult as a clarinet. Clarin- I play clarinet as well, badly. Um, clarinet is really difficult, and oboes and bassoons, they're really difficult because they're a double reed. Right. Technical. Is, it, is that all too technical? No, no. But if I, you want to explain to the people who might not know what a double reed is. Okay, it's like two reeds um, facing each other and wired at the bottom. So you actually have to blow mm. through two and it's really, really hard. And anyone that starts, if your child starts to play the oboe when they're young, it just sounds like a drowning duck. And there's nothing you can do about that until they've been playing for about eight years. <laughs> I like I played the drums since I was ten, um, and that came to me pretty easily. I just had a natural talent for it, and I've tried to play guitar and things like that, but I just can't get to grips with it. I can learn the chords, I can mm. play it, but it's very robotic. I think if I was to start out again um, by robotic, I'm, I like I mean I'm just sort of repeating things. I'm like not really knowing the like sort of theory behind it. It's when I started playing drums, I got taught the theory behind mm. rhythms, percussion and things like that. But I think if I wanted to start afresh and I was young enough, I'd play the piano. I'd learn to oh, play the piano. Okay. You see, I think people that get their kids to play the piano, I think it's a shame because they can't play with other people. They can't join the school orchestra or I think I think it's okay to play the piano later when you say say you play the trumpet or the clarinet or something. You can play with other people in a group, and then mm. if you really love music and want to do it, you know, seriously, then I think it's good to play the piano. The thing with the piano is it's classed as a percussion instrument. It's yeah, it's mainly classed as that, but it's also classified as a string. But its main priority in the music world, I'm guessing, is percussion. The thing with piano in is that you learn the theory behind it. And also, the the piano or like the keyboard is nearly in every genre of sort yeah. of music from jazz to heavy metal to classical, yeah. and you can also compose on a piano and play on its own. Yeah. So I like think that would open the world up. But as you say, it could be a bit boring for someone who 
Yeah. It's for little kids, I think. It's a shame because you just sit up there practicing, but you don't get to you don't get to be in the school orchestra or anything like that, really. No, I mean, do they still have school orchestras now? Well, I've only just retired from a school. Um, I was teaching in a boarding school in Cheltenham for 30 years, actually, and retired last year. And we still had an orchestra. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, but it will have dropped off now. People, kids having musical instruments um, lessons, I imagine, will drop off because they won't have had them all this time. And mm-hmm. it's extra money for parents. And so they probably think, oh, well. You know, we've, we've benefited by not paying all that money for the extra lessons. We won't care. Unless the child is really, really keen, I would say. Yeah. You, you say you was a teacher at a boarding school. Was um, an old girl boarding, boarding school? An old girl bo- boarding school? <laughs> like, was it mixed? It was mixed. It was mixed, but I did live in a boarding house with 60 teenage girls for 20 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> what well, did they you they were aged 13 to 18. Ugh, that age. Uh, what did you teach there? So I taught the flute, clarinet and saxophone, one-to-one. Yeah. Um, and that, which was quite handy because if a girl in the morning was having a complete emotional breakdown or their boyfriend had dumped them or something, um, then I could just change my... I didn't have a whole class waiting for me. I could just text my pupil and say, I'll, I'll teach you later on in the week because someone says I was having a meltdown. Oh, because wow, that's yeah. Good. So, <laughs> was there like there any prodigies that came up or gone on to do good from yeah. your thought? Yeah. Um. There were there was a girl who went off to music college and she was a really good sax player. But I think um I'm not sure she's probably teaching now. And there was another guy, Johnny Four. He went to Leeds College of Music, which is where I went, and he had his own band. But Again, I mean, if you were a mu- well, I've got friends who are musicians and they haven't worked at all. And, um, just, you know, it's been desperate for musicians. And for me, I was hoping to retire from school, get loads of gigs, you know, because it, it became more and more difficult to mm-hmm. have night gigs and um, look after girls. So I only played in the holidays, but, um, you know, I'm looking forward to getting out there because I can play on my own. I've got backing tracks. Yeah. I can go out and sing and play sax. I can, you know, if someone's got a big house, I can set up in the corner or for weddings. You know, I play when they're having all the photos taken. I can play in a restaurant. So I can, you know, set up in a corner and play, really. Going back to instruments, just thinking about the saxophone, there's not many bands that has the saxophone. There's one that comes to mind, and that's Men at Work. Yeah. Um... um... Well, of course, I'm old. So when I so I went to music college, came out eighty one, I think, and then it was all cool in the gang, big brass sections. So I actually played my first proper gig was at the Wakefield Mecca, and the band there were three of us. There was trombone, trumpet, and me playing tenor sax. And most bands had a brass section because all that sort of um, disco music had brass sections in it. You know, go but 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 it was just like that. Mm. And, um, it was big. And then, you know, Baker Street is the most famous saxophone piece, you know. That's everywhere I go. Do you play Baker Street? So, but it has now, you know, and it was big in the 80s. 
bit in the 90s and then, you know, synthesizers took over really, didn't they? Madness. Madness is another band that yeah. had a box set Yeah. So and that whole Scar thing, you know when the Scar thing was yeah. Yeah. That, they had brass sections in, I think. Yeah, uh, I was going to ask you something. Um, you said, da, 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 da. I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. That's the most famous piece, really. Yeah, that saxophone is that quite hard piece to play. No, not really. It's only, it's the same thing that keeps coming throughout the song. It hasn't got, um, a big solo. The hardest, Solo probably that I do is um I don't know if you know but a Hazel O'Connor number called um Will You and no. It, no and if you heard it you'd probably recognise it but it's got this massive sax solo on the end which is quite hard but um my husband really likes that one and um you know bands like the Crusaders years ago they had lots of saxophone on them but the good thing is all the sort of jazz standards suit a saxophone really well. So, you know, you, that's why you can set up in a corner and just play. But I know what you mean. These days, it's not really, it would be rare, wouldn't it, to have a saxophone on something. I'm just thinking, um, what was that song? Actually, there was one, um, Dire Straits song that had the saxophone on it. And there was a band around here that was really popular and they did loads of Dire Straits songs. And sometimes they say, oh, can you just pitch up and do that number with us? So I just learned that one song with them. They didn't want me for any other songs. Yeah, the band Dire Straits, they did that good song, Romeo and Juliet. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's got a bit of an odd timing. Now, playing the sax, did anyone ever come up to you and say, can you play the solo from Lost Boys? No! No one ever came and asked me that. I think you should learn that. Can play you it and put it on me? YouTube. I don't know it. I'd like, no... I know there's a sax solo in like Lost Boys, but the guy who does it was the saxophonist for Tina Turner. Oh! Um... He's, he's like quite Clarence a big muscle. Clements? Was that Clarence Clements? I don't know that I'm crap with names, but I know he was quite a big guy, long hair. Yeah. I think and I he... saw Tina Turner um, at Wembley, the old Wembley, and I think he was playing then, actually. Mm. Yeah, I yeah. can't remember his name at all. And I don't Google my phone because I don't want it to come off Skype. No, but yeah. The, so, what was the sort of first sort of band you really got into and thought I really like music I'm like going to start an instrument sort of what's your bread and butter in bands what sort of did you grow up with uh well I you know when you're young you just listen to the charts don't you I used to tape it on my cassette you know the top 20 on a Sunday night (laughs) probably um Duran Duran I can remember us wearing frilly white blouses and I can remember when I was at music college in Leeds we went to Sheffield and we saw Human League when they were quite new yeah they were quite new on the circuit then and um, Mark Almond was at the art college in Leeds next to us and he always used to be in the cafe that we all used to go in Uh, I mean Tainted Love is a classic isn't it Um, I suppose then I really got into um, soul music and loved soul music. And um, and then when I came back to Gloucestershire and started a band, we did a lot of uh, Blondie, Sade, um, 
stuff like that really and even now Fleetwood Mac you know Fleetwood Mac yeah I really like singing Fleetwood Mac and um but and then if you do party if you go out and do balls or weddings or whatever you've still got to do all that cheesy stuff because people want to dance to that so you have to do the 60s stuff you know you you have to do twist and shout and all that which is like a bit mindless but it packs the dance floor when everyone's had a few beers so yeah but then I'm- i think Go and do a different, you know, I could do that on a Saturday because that's where you would earn money. And then on a Monday, you could play in a wine bar jazz that's only got 20 people in the audience. Yeah. Do you like, um, have you ever played a song in your band that doesn't have a sax in, but like you put the sax in playing the same chords as either the keyboard or yeah. the bass or what sort of example songs have like uh, the sax in? Well, I got um, a few gigs with her. There's a singer around here called Camilla Lewington. She's really good. She loves disco. And she sometimes, she would try and get gigs with her band. And they'd say, well, have you got a sax player? And she'd say, yeah. And then she would just call me and say, right, you need to come along and play. And um, I would just play on everything. So whatever yeah. she was playing, I would just put some stabs in, maybe match what the bass player was doing rhythm-wise or what the guitarist was doing. Um, just to kind of beef it out a bit. And, you know, sometimes I say, what key are we in? I had no idea what key it was in. And they yeah. would just shout, C, and we were in. The drummer was counting three, two, one, and off we went. And I would just, you know, put stabs in and stuff. But you can, I mean, the good thing about the saxophone, I started for a while doing um, saxograms. So people could, remember kissograms years ago? Yeah. Well, nothing like that. Um, and so people would pay for me to turn up and surprise people and play either happy birthday or I went into this um old people's home and played London Derriere and the lady was 90 and she was in floods of tears and then I turned up at um someone's engagement party as a surprise and luckily gave my packing track to the band so that they could put it through and I I think I did um Survivor or something so I mean you can pick any tune and just play it on the saxophone, and they loved it, and they got on the dance floor because they were, that was their engagement, and so that that was quite good for a while. But sometimes they would choose random songs that you know didn't always work. I think saxophone is one of the most impressive instruments, along with guitar, if and if played well, because it's very rarely seen, as like we discussed. So mm-hmm. someone to play the saxophone is quite impressive, and especially girl, and especially a woman, especially a woman. Yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, mm. I suppose so. But when you said about playing in different keys, coming from a drum background, a percussion background, <laughs> that just flummoxes me. I know. In bands, you know, um, the drummer always gets the rip taken out of them all the time. Uh, no, yeah. you know, they're not the real musician because they're just a drummer. <laughs> no, well, th- saying that, I've been to I've been to quite a few drum clinics and like the people I've seen have played with people like Steve I, Frank Zappa, oh. people like that. So so I'm like they're all one drummer was Terry Bozio and mm. he's quite out there. He like started with piano and he plays guitar and then he tunes his drums into notations and he's quite a complex drummer. So just like just say like a just a basic rock drummer is mm. but then if you go up the scale it gets more more musical but i could never understand theory never no well when i was at music college oh my god all the drummers were mad about frank zappa 
they yeah. just all wanted to play stuff that, you know, in a Frank Zappa style, he was a hero. Yeah, because he's uh, the first sort of guy, I suppose, to bring that sort of style up. Because, mm. I mean, like, Terry Bozio played with him, you had Steve I play. So he, like, launched a lot of careers. And obviously he had Dweezels after his, like, son. But mm. he's very technical and very fiddly. Yeah. Which isn't always good. You, like, mentioned jazz. Is jazz, like, your favourite style of music at the minute, would you say? Not really. You know, I like... I like anything that's got a hook, anything that's got a good beat, um, anything you can sing along to. Um, I mean, Fleetwood Mac has been timeless, if you think how long they've been going. And they're still used for adverts now. And so young people still know their songs. Yes, um, yeah, true. I, I don't, you know, I don't like anything that's got that just mindless boom, boom, boom. boom. Oh, that just drives me mad, really. Um, I like a good, you know, I like a good tune. I like playing jazz because you can, you know, you play the tune, which is usually quite short, and then off you go and improvise and you can do your own thing. Yeah, as long as you stick to the basic format of the song, you like you go off, can't you? As long as you don't get lost. No, don't get lost. Always count. Mm, or, no, I just kind of go by my ears, really. And and the great thing, years ago when we used to play jazz, you know, you would, so I would take a solo and then I'd look at the guitarist and he would know that he was going to be next and then he would look at the keyboard player and he was going to go next and then we'd all come back in, play the main tune again. Looking uh, for the drummer then. Sometimes <laughs> we'd let the drummer have a few. Sometimes um, you'd let the drummer. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think of that 60s song that had loads of drums in it at the beginning. Oh, God, I can't think what it's called. But it's, it's like all drums, you know, quite a straight beat, but it, it starts with... Yeah. I, I quite like um, going to the 60s. I think... Um, oh, what's his name? The drummer from the Beatles. I completely... I've got his picture, man. I Ringo Starr, no. Ringo Starr, yeah, you see. I'm getting old. Uh, I like sort of think he's drumming. On the like, the Beatles is underrated. Hmm. Yeah, because he was a good drummer. Um, Especially that song in like my life, because it goes dun, 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 dun. it goes up and down. I'm not going to sing it. I'm telling that, but it's <laughs> a, like sort of quite a broken beat. Yeah. Wipeout. Is it called Wipeout? That's got drums on the beginning. Of yeah, it? it goes do the little the. It goes. Yes. Yeah. Because yes, it's just a basic 16th, but it's got accents in. Yes, and we so. always used to do that for the drummer. Ah, oh, that's very nice here. <laughs> uh, what music are you listening to now, and what do you feel about modern music? Because you said a few minutes ago about it's just... Doo, 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 doo. Oh, yeah, How... I don't like that drum and bass stuff. I, I don't like drum and bass, and I don't like songs that are just all talking about drugs and... God knows what that I just not really into that. Um, but you know, people like um, Jason Derulo and all those kind of people. Calvin, um, Calvin Harris. You know, I think it's you know people can identify with it. It's it's not too heavy going. Mm. You know, there's enough going on in the world. We just need music to be joyous. We need music we to be upbeat. You know, make us feel good. I think that's really important. Definitely, because I've listening to at the minute. I'm listening to Joy Division and New Order. Oh which, yeah, 
which is basically the same band, but we just have Ian Curtis, which I only learned recently that New Order was Joy Division. So, yeah. but I, I like the early stuff of like New Order, like I like the early stuff from R.E.M. and things like that. A bit mm. more punkier, a bit more raw before maybe the sold out a bit. Mm. I, I think, um, New Order, how long were they around for? I think they, they were still playing a lot. But they weren't selling a lot of, um, well, downloads now, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. I think they were really innovative because at the time they were, their keyboards and synthesizers were, they were really up there, weren't they, with bringing yes. it, which I suppose to watch though, it was, was it very visual, was it? No, no, because it was, no. That's the only thing, I suppose. But then I mean, is that important? Well, Talking Heads was a good band, and that and he's a bit crazy, and that was more of a performance as well. And they yeah. were all good musicians. Yeah, uh, bands like Big Country, Big Country mm-hmm. was quite a big performance band as well before they um, happened to go elsewhere. Yeah, but do you think it's easier now for bands to get noticed than it was? Say, I started in like a hardcore punk band in 1997 and I can still remember going to Argos to buy the tapes record <laughs> off a master demo and the singer used to do the drawings for the inlay and we had to go and basically hand these tapes out or send them off as yeah. where now you can go in your bedroom you can download a music program do it and just send it off to everyone well now now you would put it on YouTube you'd put yeah. it on YouTube and if it got masses of hits, then I can pick up on it. I mean, when I when I was about 20, I was playing in bands that did their own stuff. And we'd have to go to London. So we'd have to fork out, to take all our kit down to London, play in some sort of wine bar where the um, A&R man from, re- well, from different record companies, they'd all come along, watch you play, then another band would be on, but then another band. And they'd say, oh, well, we like that, but we don't like that. Maybe you could change that. Maybe you could change mm-hmm. that. Come back in two months. You'd have to go all the way back down in two months. None of that now. It is literally, isn't it? If you if you sing a song in your bedroom on a guitar, um, you put it on YouTube, thousands and thousands of people um, start to watch it and it gets downloaded, then that's how you get picked up. Amazing. Yeah, but... Also, the good thing about, I mean, I'm not an overly massive fan of technology because I don't like where it's taken us. But one good thing it is it shows us how much talent is like actually out there with drumming, guitar and brass and how much creativeness there is through making a drum kit just out of pots and pans. Yeah. Yeah. So and as well, if we didn't have that outlet, this talent would be kept to themselves. And there's probably more talent out there where people are doing it just for themselves and no one else. Yeah. And I like those drums, you know, they're like a big box. They look like a big box. And quite a few guys, especially in pubs, um, if they haven't got a lot of space, so they might have a guitarist who sings as well, and a guy that sits on this box, but it is some sort of drum. Cajon. Ah, yeah. Cajon, it's uh, it's, it's a percussion instrument. So what happens is they've got, like, guitar strings or snare strings down the middle. So if you hit it at the top, It'll, it'll sound, sound like a snare, and if you hit it in the middle, it'll be bub, bub, like a bass. I think they're brilliant. Yeah, and I think it's a Spanish or I'm, I'm sure it's a Spanish like instrument. And like they've also brought them out now, where 
that can sit on your knee, so like left and right is a snare, and the middle is just a deep bass drum. So that goes into more percussion lines because there'll be different hits mm. with like slaps and taps, and you can hold it, then slap it, and it'll get like a different sound. I but like no. I like acoustic music. I think definitely. Um, I think it's just really uh, real and raw and really authentic and really gets to you. I think. A bit like folk music, that's, you know, folk's nice like that. Yeah. I quite like country music, to be honest, because it's always catchy. (laughs) (laughs) So, you, MBE, how did that come about? What goes on? What does it mean? I know it's a member of the British Empire, but tell us all about it. Well... Uh, it's a shock when you get it, really. Um, what happened was about 26 years ago, our first um, daughter, well, our only daughter at the time, she um, had a brain tumour. We discovered that she had a brain tumour when she was two and a half, and um, she died when she was three. And we started a charity in her name, raising money for children with cancer in Gloucestershire, and did that until we had a son, and then we had another daughter. And so we raised... Uh, a few hundred thousand, um, seven years later, closed the charity. I started then to raise money for click sergeant, breast cancer, other things, because I sort of got the, the fundraising bug, really. And I think it made me feel better because obviously losing a child is the most horrendous thing. And by doing something positive for other people, it kind of made it feel like something good was coming out of something so awful. So carried on fundraising. Um, and then a charity that we'd given money to, and we had the Emily Kent Trust, we gave money to this charity called Pi Piper Appeal, which is a children's charity, and they approached me and said, would I be a trustee? And I said, um, didn't really have time, but I did. And um, this is when I was in the boarding house. And uh, so I became a trustee for them. Then a homeless charity in Cheltenham asked me to become the chairman of that. And so someone a friend um, decided to write all of this up and get letters from all the people that had been involved in all the charities I've been involved in, got the accounts from the Emily Kent Trust. Like, she put so much work into it and um, sent it all off to wherever it's all sent off to. And in the middle of lockdown, I get this email that I nearly deleted because it was all like capital letters and I thought, oh, this looks like spam. And <laughs> opened it. And it said, would I accept being a member of the British Empire? I was like, oh, my God. But it was the first week in June. And it was the Queen's birthday honours. And it said, but you can't tell anyone until the autumn because we want to give another few hundred out for people that have done things in COVID. So I couldn't tell anyone. Well, apart from my husband. But we couldn't tell anyone. Um, until 9th of October, where we had a week's notice, and they said it's going to be announced on the 9th of October, and you can tell people then. I mean, a bit crazy, really. But yeah. and was it quite a hard secret to keep the period? Yeah, it's like it's like if if your hot boyfriend or girlfriend proposes, gives you the ring, you say yes, and then says, "Well, we're not going to tell anyone for four months." Mm. You know what I mean? Because it's like really exciting news, isn't it? Yes. It was hard, really. And I've got a sister in Australia and, a, and then another sister. And during COVID, we started to speak to each other at the same time because 
being in Australia, it's a bit difficult. And we got together, and I was bursting to tell them, but I couldn't tell them. Because <laughs> I thought, what will happen if I do? Now I might get my head chopped off in the Tower of London or something, or they'll take it off me, or... Or you'll be found in the bottom of a river. Yeah. You know, they be suicided. Might yeah, they might send the heavies round, and so... So I didn't, and uh, but actually, all that time I was I was going to retire from school, and I was thinking, what should I do? I need to do something with it, and so I decided I wanted to do public speaking. But there isn't anywhere to public speak, is there? Oh, uh, you've got um, yeah. Uh, what's the place in Speakers Corner? Speakers Corner. Yeah, in London, and I think you've got one in Leeds, and you've got a few unofficial ones dotted about, but the official ones in is it Hyde Park, London? And you can just go there and give your talk? Yeah. Oh, let's try that. And I presume they don't pay you, though? No. 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 No, no that's, that's like going to be the thing, isn't it? Unless you're Tony Blair, and he charges yeah. how much now for a talk? A oh, lot, I expect. Millions, I think. A lot of people. I looked at women speakers, um, you know, top UK women speakers. A lot of them are Paralympians or sports people, you know, that are kind of, um, you know, fought to be recognised, women in mm. sports, that, Paralympians, business women. But my talk is about the power of giving and how important it is to give. And no one is really doing that. Um, so I'm hoping when it all, you know, opens up. I'm a really big fan of local charities. And my, yeah. husband, tells, my husband tells me off because I get on my soapbox and I'm like, don't give money to big charities because you never know where it goes. Give it to small charities. <laughs> you, no, you do like, like, yeah, because I only give to my local hospice. Yeah. Because as, as like you say, that 20p, how, like, yeah. where does a percentage go of that? And at yeah. the end of the day, you might just be only giving 3p to that charity. Um, yeah. Speaking about local charities, and then we'll get back to it, is I had a dominatrix on my podcast from Hull. And she does a lot, apart from dominatrix people, she mm. like, does a lot for the homeless. She's like quite well known in Hull. Julie Preston, a.k.a. Mm. Mistress Dieter, is yeah. um, quite big on the on the home charities front, but she's also a dominatrix. Oh, so, I bet she's a good deal on your sponsor then. <laughs> well, this was before the sponsor, but she has. Oh. I, I, I like, will tell you one story about it. Um, she's got a customer, um, and she openly talks about this on like the podcast twice. So she ties him to a chair and she force feeds him dog muck. Oh my gosh. And I that said, that's not, mm, yeah. And I said to her, does he just swallow it? Because I could sort of get my head around it if he swallowed it. It could sort of click. But she said, oh, no, he chews on it and swallows it. And I was like, oh. my God. So, yeah. And has she been doing all this um, before Fifty Shades or? Oh, well before Fifty Shades. Oh, gosh. Yeah, she's um, from Hull, Mistress Dita. She's like been on twice. Once, because mm-hmm. I like wanted her on, then I did a like a small segment of um, taboo subjects. It's cool to be taboo, to be cool stuff like stuff, stuff like that. So I've had you know strippers on, yeah. porn stars, and everything like that. But yeah, it and it like was quite interesting. Yeah. Oh. So, so what, so what local charities 
was you involved in back then? Because you just said your friend wrote all these letters, got everything out, and you couldn't tell anyone. What like what went on from there within like so, the MBA? Uh, well, no, I've only had the MBA since last June. So I haven't really done anything with it except stick three letters after my name and um, and discovered that people, you know, I think in the speaking circuit, if you've got an MBE, then you, you might be more likely to be booked because they think, well, she must have a story if she's got an MBE. Um, so and really, ideally, the school, you like the school I was at, the boarding school. I would like to do that circuit because they all have speech days where all the parents come, they have prizes. So you get this MBE type person who comes, gives like the prizes and then gives a kind of inspirational speech, job done. Yeah. Good pay. Um, So ideally, that's the kind of circuit that I would like to get on because obviously I've got lots of boarding school stories myself. So um, (laughs) that's what. Yeah, I mean, ideally, that's that sort of thing. Or or businesses that I would go and talk to about how do you choose a charity, you know. Yes. Um, I've got strong views on that. And um, and how there is so much more research now to say that giving makes you feel better, it's good for your mental health. In fact, they say that, although I find this hard to believe, and I'd like your take on it, Rick, um, they say that volunteering or giving money to charity opens up these pathways in your brain the same ones that you get when you have sex or you eat what do you think it's something i've not really thought about to like sort of tell you the truth but um if you put a five or a couple of quid in a box or a hospital sort of like sort of something it does make you feel good yeah well it's the same it's the same reward pathways it's called in your brain and and so you know there's research about it and it's good for your well-being, it's good for your mental health. You know, just volunteering or giving people time or um, just giving generally. Yeah, I've um, got a soft spot for the homeless. In like, I don't think there should be no one homeless in them like this day and age. And I do realise people take their certain paths and I do realise some things that they're institutionalised, they're desensitised to, and that's the way they want it, and it's their life choices. But I think in this day and age, no one should be on like the streets. So I do try to make an effort. The thing with that is, there's a lot of people who sort of scam it, have somewhere to live, will have benefits coming in, but yet they will take the mick and like go for begging. I mean, like I think this Christmas time, I like went to Louth shopping for Christmas, uh, and I bought a few homeless people some like hot drinks. Mm. So I'm, I'm like, I thought, well, have I done the right thing? Is he just going to go home and put the kettle on? And is he <laughs> just doing this for... Because, like, there was some down Cleethorpe's, there's a street called St Peter's Avenue, and there was a few down there, and they were well-known and reported to still have a house and that, but they were still begging. It's where now you can see the proper homeless because they've got the sleeping bag there in, like, the doorways, and it's so sad to see because people yeah, just well, walk I'm, on past. Yeah, I'm chairman of um, a charity called Cheltenham Open Door, and we feed the homeless. So we give them a hot meal... Um, three days a week and before the pandemic we had about 50 that would come and have a hot meal and we give them a food parcel out of those 50 I would say maybe 10 were completely homeless so they might live in tents 
there was a couple they liked living in their tent um and actually when some some young kids set their tent on fire i think the local people helped them get another tent because they you know were quite friendly and 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 they just like living like that and um and sometimes you know if they come out of prison they just are not organized enough to get themselves sorted and they might spend um the first week or so until they can get accommodation and everything um but a lot you know i've met people who have had good jobs they're made redundant um their wives throw them out uh, then the wives can get good because they're then a single parent they can get good benefits and the guy, you know, will sleep in shop doors because he's literally got nowhere to go. They might sleep in their car until that's uh, repossessed. And then, you know, they it, it can be very quick. You know, the downs oh, yeah. are very quick for people. And they just need help, you know, and, and food. And, yeah, it, it is really sad. And I think um, it could happen to anyone almost. It can. And I sort of think that's amazing. And it is beautiful as well as disastrous. But one thing could just change your pathway in life forever and it could just yeah. be a small minor thing yeah but it could have that ripple effect and it's so interesting to see that happen and not being horrible when i say that just like in any circumstances but in this day and age and how much money's going about i don't think no one should be homeless mm. well, I don't think no one yeah we've got a guy who was a chef and um he had a motorbike accident and um, you know he had um damage in his head and he's never worked since and so he you know is um living in a sort of hostel type place and so he you know he did have a good job but the fact he came off his motorbike and that was it I mean, I mean i've always said if i did win a large amount of money and i'm talking like 150 million pound on like the euros i would probably buy a few houses let these people live there and say just pay me this Mm. Like that's it, but some of my friends said you're crazy because some of them will just not accept that. We'll just take the mech, and like some of them will be back on the streets because that's what they want to do. But mm-hmm. I said, but at least I've done my bit and trying to help them, and I'd mm. probably set up a business and employ them as well because I'd have that much money. It's something I I could do: buy them a house, buy them a business, and say, look, I'm going to get you, but you've honestly got to work for it. It's not a, a handout. And it would be checked like a proper business, but I just want to give you that little head up. But some people might not accept it, but some people won't. But I'd have to play the lottery to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want that much money because I, I do say, I mean, it'd be nice, but if you've got that much money, you've got no more dreams. Mm. And I think dreams is a big thing that what, what, like, pushes people forward. We, like, keep striving. And I think if you've got that £150 million... Pound, You've got nothing to strive for. You've got nothing to say for. You like could go out and buy that car. You could go out on that holiday. You could go out and do anything you literally wanted to do. So you'd have no aspiration. You'd just wake up and say, well, I can do it. Mm. And I do think we all need as humans to have that sort of work ethic where we've got to strive for something and have a dream. Mm. And then once that dream comes real, you've got the hard work from it because it's yeah because like you put your heart and soul into it it's almost obscene that amount of money isn't it it is but if you've won it you've won it but i like do think it's i don't know i mean it's like sort of this working from home thing uh 
psych, like psychologists a long time ago said working from home isn't good because like you can't get that that sort of separation from home and work is where you've been out for a hard day you come home and you're relieved that you've done that hard day's work and it feels good to sit on your couch it's where if you're at home working you don't get that even if you've got a separate office mm-hmm. you're like subconsciously and consciously know you're still at home yeah so i think that amount of money is nice to have don't get me wrong because you could sort a lot of people's lives out but as it goes to your dreams it's like if I had that much money, I don't know what I'd do. No. I'd, I'd like buy a Ferrari, big house, try and invest in like businesses and that and then, but I'd still have to have something because if them businesses won't work, it won't matter to me because I've still got that amount of money. Yeah. And I'd have no, just nothing to like entertain myself. Do you think about that much, having that amount of money? I do sometimes if I'm bored. <laughs> or like just say if I'm driving for work and I'm like stuck in traffic I think what would I do especially if I buy a ticket if I buy a ticket I start imagining things mm. but like 150 million that sort of that sort of maybe money Axel Rose from Guns N' Roses is and his net worth is you're like getting serious serious money yeah. but like he's think... earned his money and like he still works his way you haven't earned that it's just there and I don't think the appreciation of it would be there as well with you. Mm. It's just unimaginable. I mean, I've had a lottery winner on my own podcast, mm-hmm. a trans lady from Hull. Um, she won £4 million off a £10 scratch card. Mm. And then she had a story to tell that um, Melissa Reed, she was called. Um, she was quite a character on Facebook. But she said um, they did some sort of ritual, some sort of ceremony some sort of devil worshipping salts like soul selling thing and then she won this money then about nine months later she died <gasps> so and that was quite an interesting podcast because mm. she didn't want to talk about it, it was, <laughs> she was very hush hush and if and her fiance rachel was a bit hush hush about it as well they couldn't really say what's like the dead oh gosh so, going back to the NBE thing, have, how does it work? Do you, like, you get to meet any of the royals? Do yeah, they... well, yeah. Um, we're supposed to go to St. James's Palace, I think it is, and um, they do about 90 people or 100 people at a time, and you all sit down and then you uh, go up, and you're. I think you get something like one and a half minutes each, and you do your curtsy. It could be the Queen, or it could be Prince Charles, or it could be Princess Anne, or might be Prince William now. Um, and then, hey, yeah, it definitely won't be Harry or Meghan. No. <laughs> and uh, and then you get your medal, which is quite big, and then you can buy a miniature. So you can um, buy a miniature, which is the same, but smaller. And so, you know, when um, you see uh, military people and they have a whole row of medals? Yes. Um, and I'm in this um, thing called the Honourable Company of Gloucestershire, and it's like a livery company, which also has got um, a charity trust attached to it. And when we have dinners, there's lots of military men in it, and they wear, and it says medal. It might say something like black tie and medals or something. So I'll be able to wear my, I'll be able to wear my miniature on my dress. That'd be um, something to proud to have, and I, I like you proud to have it. 
Yeah, I I wish my mum and dad had been alive to see it because they both died. But because I know my dad especially, he, you know, when I said I wanted to play the flute, he got me a flute. He did two jobs. Um, You know, he used to do a milk round in the morning and then he did his day job um, so that we could move to, you know, a semi-detached house. And yeah. uh, he bought me my first saxophone that was all dusty and had to be repaired. And he used to come to a lot of my gigs as well. And he was just so proud and I just think, oh, my gosh, he would have been mega, mega proud if he'd have, you know, been here now, which is a shame. But, you know, how, how did you... in another way, I'm glad they're not here now because they both had dementia in the end. And, God, they just would not have understood, you know, yeah. this situation. No, that's, no, that's something that needs um, um, addressing as well, chari- like sort of charities for, mm. for like, dementia. Because my nana died of that as well, so... Mm. it's not a nice thing no it's it's really sad and yeah so they they wouldn't have understood you know that we couldn't go and visit you know mum used to moan that we hadn't been to visit and we had been to visit so <laughs> she definitely wouldn't have got it and that would have just that would have been heartbreaking it's just been awful for families i think it's been up. really bad um this um like last year a lot's happened this like this year that's passed since like last year the 23rd of March mm. especially in where like we live the UK what's happened um you, you were saying you get a big one how like how big is it because I just thought it was just a small medal no it's, um I would say it's probably mm, six eight inches in quite a biggish box. The miniature, someone bought me the miniature actually. The miniature is, let me just have a look at that. So the miniature is four in, no, two inches. And it's like, um, it's, it's like ribbon and then it's got this solid silver sort of thing. Um, and it's got a crown on the top, which is really nice. In fact, the miniature is quite big to wear as a sort of brooch type thing. So the medal itself must be, you know, really big. And when it's announced, it goes, it's printed in the um, London Gazette, which is the royal newspaper. So if people get engaged or they die or whatever, it all is published in that London Gazette before any other newspaper can print it. And so you can order that. And so your name. You know, it's like a certificate. You can order that. I presume I'll get another sort of certificate. I'm not really sure, but um, I'm hoping I'll be able to take my son and daughter with me and my husband, really. But there's no definite date then that's been given. No, no. And And I think, so I was June. I think the January ones, I don't think they've finished all those because, of course, March. Um, So I think there's a couple of thousand each time. Something like that, I think. Uh, so they yep. get through all those. That's a lot of, lot of days, isn't it, to do? Yeah, and like Lester did it, maybe five hundred people at the weekend, two like yeah. two fifty each day. Yeah, yeah. So you, work. you were saying you wanted to go into the spare, the, the like sort of speaking circuit. Uh, what's? I mean, I've not really heard people doing that except for tony blair really um <laughs> how like how much does an average speaker get for someone just say someone wanted to hire you to speak mm. at their grammar school say or their um secondary school how much would you charge them for say an hour speech uh a couple of thousand really yeah that's is the it, going rate is, right. is, is it yeah 
It's good, yeah. isn't it? It is. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And, and it like, used to be a motivational speaker, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So um, I did I did a talk, so it's all on Zoom at the moment, so you, that's why you can't really earn any money at the moment. Although probably the big speakers are because they're so well known. But, um, you know, you can you can go out and talk probably. If you went out and did a company thing, you'd probably get, I don't know, five or six hundred quid. But... You know, if you get on the big circuit, I think once you've done a TEDx talk, then I think you're, you know, in the game and you can earn quite a lot, really. Um, but I mean, some people, I think at our, I think school speech days, they might pay up to three, but obviously I'll be starting out. But, um, you know, I went to a coach, I told, you know, I had, he, he described it as get your stories into islands. So like the, the story of getting the MBE, and me nearly deleting it, I can make that quite a biggish story. And then the story of our daughter dying and the charity, that's another island. And he said, have all these islands, and then whoever asks you to speak, you can just use whatever islands and link them together sort of thing, which yeah. is quite clever. So if I do a business, if I talk to a business, which I've done on Zoom, then a lot of it is what's in it for the business to have a charity of the year. So I kind of talk about, you know, all the benefits for the business and... um Plus, add on my story and why I do charity work and everything. So you just adapt it to whoever you're talking to. Um, if it's a women's group, then obviously it's, you know, I can usually have them in tears quite easily because as a mother, you know, to lose a child, they're, you know, can sort of, well, not identify with it, thankfully, but, you know, it, it certainly, and then, and then hopefully I try and get them, you know, even if it's not the charities I'm involved with, just you know get people to do something you know for like you say if you give something to the homeless or the hospice or whatever hospices have struggled as well because people have been giving to the homeless much more I think people have really been aware of the homeless in COVID and they they've had good donations um, whereas hospices it hasn't been so good and they haven't been able to have their events to raise money no so which is a bit like Mm. Yeah, and then obviously the shops aren't open, so people aren't giving. So mm. like they might just be relying on handouts. Mm. So yeah, it's, that's well, that's hard one. You did mention, and I've just remembered some stories from boarding school. Is like, there any stories you can tell us, like funny stories, crazy stories, or even scary stories? Uh, not too many scary ones, luckily. The building was um, three four stories really so on the ground floor was all the kind of <coughs> and then the next three floors were all either singles doubles or dormitories and um there there were these three girls normally the naughtiest girls are normally 15 16 because um at 15 you're not the youngest anymore you can't really see yourself being 17, 18 when you can go to the pub. So if you're going to smuggle alcohol in or do anything like that, it's normally when you're 15 or 16. It's the trickiest years. And um, there were these three girls who uh, got themselves into trouble. My, my husband went out to have a drink with a couple of other teachers and they bumped into a boy in the takeaway. And uh, one of the teachers said, oh, I thought you were going to a party this weekend. He said, oh, he said, yeah, well, I was going to stay, but um, there were too many Shelburne girls there. And Shelburne was my house. 
So my husband came home and said, you know, did you have any girls going to a party this weekend? I said, no. And um, <laughs> so I did a bit of sniffing around and heard a rumour that um, some of my girls had got out. And the windows, because it was the first floor, the windows you could only open, say, five inches, because otherwise the girls could fall out. You know, that was the regulation. So they got an Allen key and opened the window with an Allen key and then they'd got out of the window and balanced on a fence. I mean, they could have absolutely broken their necks. And then ran across the field and went to this party. And, of course, came back early in the morning, just came in through the normal door. And the first one just lied out of her teeth. She denied it completely. The second one knew that I was on to her. And then the third one just crumbled. But um, they were suspended for a week. And when their parents came to take them home for a week, and I showed them the window that they had climbed out of, I mean, so dangerous. Um, yeah, that was, uh, in fact, you know, I think I put it on a blog and tagged a couple of the girls in, you know, because because uh, a lot of them I'm still friends with on Facebook or whatever. So, yeah, there was never a dull moment, really. You never really knew what they were going to do, but... Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard being a teenager, isn't it? I don't know if you remember that. It is. Yeah, hard. it is. Harder well, now. And it's hard to be 42 as well, which I am, and it's still <laughs> hard. <laughs> it sounds like Centrinians, that uh, Mike sort of story you just said. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't always like that. You know, they they love singing. We would sing a lot. And we would have nights, uh, Saturday night, we'd all get, I'd get loads of face packs in and nail varnish and we'd have back to back high school musical and then we'd have Domino's pizzas arrive and, you know, it was a lot of fun. I really wanted that the That sounds girls, awesome. Yeah. I wanted the girls to have a great time because people my age, I'm nearly 60 and people that went to boarding school my age, they had a terrible time. You know, they had a really strict housemistress and it was, you know, they had a phone at the end of the corridor. You'd have to queue to phone home and all that sort of thing. And I wanted the girls, when they were telling their children, oh, I had a crazy housemistress and she played the saxophone. And, um, you know, sometimes she would come in with all her sparkles on because she'd done a gig. And I just wanted them I just wanted them to have a great time, really, as well as, you know, get them to work hard, get good qualifications. Or And I used to take them to charity fairs and get them to sell teddies. And I really also wanted to instill that in them, that they were lucky and they needed to think about, you know, the community around them. And we used to collect food and take it to the homeless place. And I wanted them to realise, you know, what they had, really. Did you ever pretend you was in Hogwarts? <laughs> I've never watched Harry Potter. Haven't you not? <laughs> I don't really uh, watch telly, Rick, to be honest. I don't have time. I don't watch telly, I just watch Netflix and things I like don't that. Even watch net I don't even watch Netflix. The only thing I watch usually is the ten o'clock news or I watch uh I did used to watch um RuPaul's Drag Race because that used to be on after the news and I did really like that. Um but I don't really watch it. I don't like getting into things because I, I don't want to commit to it. Yeah. You know, I can't. No. I'd, yeah, rather, be social, I'd rather be on social media. I'm a, I love social media. I've come off it completely. Have you? Yeah. Because, like, I, I, I don't think technology's taken us to a good place. Um, mm. I think a lot of people on social media are doing it for the wrong reasons. I don't think it helps mental health. 
I think everyone's looking for acceptance and they're not happy with who they are truly from mm. a spiritual side. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of nastiness that goes on there. And I am part, I've, I've been party to it all. So people can call me out. You know, I've been an arsehole on, online, but my anxiety's dropped. My depression has dropped. I'm not mm. checking my phone all the time. My yeah. screen time, when it keeps coming on, on like a weekly day, it like says your screen time is down. Unless I've had a big day driving and, cause I went to Ipswich yesterday, so I had to have my phone on for that else. I wouldn't have ended up in Scotland. <laughs> but, um, I, I just think, especially Instagram, mm. there's a lot of things. Just say you go to a concert, people are living in the moment. People are living to impress other people. And I've done it myself, and I've admitted I've done it myself, but people are taking these selfies, looking nice, when actually probably they're just trying to look for that acceptance for people to make them feel better. And that acceptance is only going to last for maybe maybe a couple of hours. Then, like, you're back to square one. It's superficial. Uh, it's like if you go to a concert and you see all these people holding phones up, looking through the phone, Put your phone away because you're not going to look at that concert again. How many people go back to their old videos and photos on, on like the phone? Yeah. I mean, in general, I'm just generalising. Yeah, yeah. But if you live in the moment, you're experiencing that for yourself, and that will do your spirituality, your like sort of mental health, so much better than mm-hmm. doing it for social media. But then again, social media does play a part of keeping people in touch, like us, especially in this COVID. But again, we're we're more reliant on it now than we was say two years ago because we've seen how easy it sort of can be i mean we spoke about people putting the songs out there mm. it's like maybe good for that but i won't class that so much as social media is maybe the technology side of it but mm. all this selfies look at me white teeth boobs <laughs> pushed up bodies out it's like it's just like you're not being your true self and yeah. You just live for yourself. Don't live your life through other people. Don't look for acceptance. Be happy in yourself and then move on from there. Because it's like, oh, what am I eating for dinner? And I've done it. Take a picture of it. Who cares what you're eating for dinner? Just eat dinner and eat it for yourself. Yeah. I mean, as TikTok, I think TikTok's a cesspit. I'd like to oh, I can't, I can't do that. They're all... All, all narcissists, majority of them are narcissists, is like, look at me, they're trying to outdo each other. And it's just cheap. It's just cheap and it's lowering yourself. And I think, anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've come off social media and I'm like a lot better for it. Yeah. But I've got a friend that, she she came off for a week actually. She's had enough and um, she was struggling and she said, I just came off it and, you know, just appreciated what was round, around me. Yeah, go like go for a walk in them like the woods. I mean, yeah. Twitter for me. I used to wake up last this time last like last year, and I used to look at the Twitter, and it used to scare me to death about <laughs> reading all this stuff about we'll be wearing masks, we'll be doing this, we'll be doing that, and it's all come to fruition. What's mm. been said, but coming off it, I'm not even fussed. I've sort of accepted that I'm not going to be taking the vaccine. I've accepted I might not be part of society or that, but I don't want to be part of that society. If yeah. it's like sort of that's the way it's going, where people are going to coerce you into having things. I know this is what the podcast is about, but I just want to be me and I'll be true yeah. to myself. And I don't want to be part of that society. I've always been a bit of a standout person, a bit yeah. of a contrarian. Hence my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just think people need to know 
do it for yourself and it's your choice. I mean, I'm not getting the vaccine, but it's someone else's choice and I can never take that away. I might mm. agree or I might not agree, but it's their choice. I'm in a paradoxical way. I'll respect them for that choice, even though I don't agree, mm. which is a bit of a weird thing to say. But mm. it seems other people are that forthcoming. And again, the media doesn't help. Social media doesn't help. So don't watch the news. Don't go on social media. Go out there. Go for a walk and experience the beauty, the birds, and just become one with nature. Mm. It's like, like as soon as you sit on a bit of grass, you're, you're connected to a massive rock that's spinning in space mm. that's been maybe created and it's like it's and it's amazing and you're part of like the universe and then nothing else would happen you're part of the moment in that mm-hmm. thing so i've got that out this year <laughs> <laughs> if nothing else oh brilliant so well, you. <laughs> so like how did you cope with like the lockdown um well my husband just he had his kidney out just before the lockdown uh and so we really shielded um i got into a really good routine of doing some exercise in the morning and when the lockdown first started i still had to track the girls they'd left the boarding house because obviously they lived all over the world and locally and we they would have all their lessons online but i had to what they did was they logged on um and the teacher could see that they'd logged on but sometimes when the lesson finished they were still logged on and so and not there and so i would have to from from april when they came back in april until the end of june when we finished and which was my last year of 30 years um i had to you know email them or text them and say why weren't you in lesson four you know the math teacher said you weren't there blah 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 so it was not you know ideal because I was used to living with them all the time and waking up and having breakfast with them and handing their phones back so we used to lock them up overnight and all that sort of thing and it was just a sad way to end it all but I think that first lockdown though the weather was great you know people were walking couples were walking and teach and talking to each other that hadn't done that before and very true yeah. Yeah, and what I really liked was um whether or not you agreed with the clapping for it for the NHS, people that lived in a cul-de-sac who had never spoken to each other before in maybe 20 years, um actually got to know each other and talk to each other and figure out if there was an old lady living on her own in that cul-de-sac and it mm. no, there were a lot of good things that have come out of it. Um and I, I did think- say it- so, yeah, you sort of said about talking to other people. I did speak to other people that I've never spoke to by saying, hello, how are you today? Yeah. And the most people I saw out on the, like, the first lockdown were old people, yeah. <laughs> which well, is crazy. We saw loads of people. He, he, My husband had to walk anyway because of his operation. So we would go for a walk every day. It was lovely weather, wasn't it? Everyone was in their gardens. Um, I think the hardest lockdown has been the January till now because it's been dark. I think I've had a lot of friends that have really struggled mentally um, because we're not getting as much daylight. It's a bit better now. See, people who... It is. It is a bit better now. Um, but for me, I I can... You know, I, I read more, which I never had time for before, so I enjoy reading. Um, I usually have a few books on the go. I read a chapter of each. And... Um, 
it's definitely chilled me out a bit more because I, I can live at a very frantic pace, really. Yeah. So it's been good because, well, it's been tough for charities, but, you know, we've just been trying to do virtual things. I did this sexy pop quiz. So I set all my gear up in the lounge and I did four songs at a time. So I did 16 songs in an hour and I would ask two questions before I started it. So it might be something like, what year was this song written? Who wrote the song? And then I would play, say, two minutes of the song. And then every four, I would give out the answers. It was all on Facebook Live. And people would pay two pounds, would go to charity to watch yes. it or whatever. Um, and that raised a couple of thousand. I think I did eight or something in the first lockdown. That raised a couple of thousand. We were desperate to try and find anything. Every charity did a flipping quiz of some sort. But, you know, it made you think outside the box, which was good because... We normally have a two-day summer show that raises 40000 Well, we couldn't do that. And so it, it, it made people think, you know, about lots of things, didn't it? It made us think about our relationships, made us think about what our values were, everything, really. Um, and, and I think that's a good thing. And, you know, people aren't driving as much. They weren't driving as much. So as far as the climate is concerned, it was better for the climate. I do always try and see the good in most things. And I, I don't think you have to to come from a objective point of view. Mm. I think, and I think looking at something sub, like subjectively is good because it's from your point of view. But I think also if you should look at it objectively, and then you can go from them like work out the pros and cons. Mm. And you might dismantle a problem and sort of get around it like that. I mean, it's. I just think the lockdown's been crap. Basically, this like last year has been horrible. Mm. personally just sort of from a spiritual point of view from a morale point of view and a mental health mm. point of view yeah. but yeah. like again you have to sort of try and see the good so people went out walking people started mm. talking more mm. but also on the bad side of this it's conditioned a lot more people you'll like sort of this mask thing this mask thing won't like go away now um a lot of people will still be under the illusion of even if they're double vaccinated, they'll have to wear a mask, this and that. Not a lot will change for some people. Um, mm. And I think it's conditioned a few people by, well, I, I'm not going to go to the shops again. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And it's taken that bit of life away, that bit of zest they did have. Mm. And I'm not belittling no one because, again, it's their choice. But I think it's, it hasn't been all the better roses. And I like, think we'll feel the, as- like the after effects yeah. for like a long time. Yeah. So, but so, what's your plans for the future then? Well, hopefully, get out and do some public speaking. Yeah. Um, I'm going because I'm going to be sixty in November. I'm trying to think up a big fundraiser. Whether I get people to, I was thinking I might try and find a thousand people that were born in 1961, 62, that would raise a hundred quid in a year. And that would make a hundred thousand pounds, which would be amazing. Um, and I'd like to know what people all over the world, really. I mean, I would have to use social media to track them all down or people to yeah. share everything. But I'd like to know women my age, what have they done with their lives that I don't know? You know, I find, I think I find that really interesting. And, and I would like them to like raise a hundred quid for my charities, but wherever they live, raise a hundred quid for their local charity as well. So it has a kind of ripple effect. Yeah. 
Um, so I'm trying to think that through and how I'm going to do it. Um, you should I've, start a podcast. I have got a podcast. Have you? Yeah, it's called What's in the Goodie Bag. Oh. And the theory of it is, I've done, I've put four out so far. So I interview successful people in, I've done a couple of actors or business people, but they have to have done something for charity as well at some point or volunteered or something. So we talk about why they're successful. We talk about what they've done for other people. And then they have to donate something into my goodie bag, which I raffle or auction for the children's charity I'm involved in. Oh, that's a good idea. So, so who have you had on so like far then? So the first one I had this guy called Nathan Wyburn. He's a gay artist from Wales. He's ginger. He said he was bullied at school. He said I was bullied at school because I was ginger, I was gay, and I was a geek. He said every every level they could bully me on. Uh, but he he does art with food. So he did um, he did Simon Cowell in Marmite on Toast. And he did. And when there was all that thing with Piers Morgan, he That's did. Very apt. Love him. Yeah, love him or hate him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's done loads of famous people, either with lipstick or paint, or and he did a massive one. There's um, a gay rugby player called um, somebody Thomas, Gareth Thomas, and he's got AIDS actually. And he did uh, he did this massive portrait of him. Out of red paint to signify blood, and yes. it's it's up in the hospital for um, that sort of thing in Wales. He he was really lovely, really lovely guy. So he put his book. He's got this lovely book, Pop Tart. It's called. And he put <laughs> bag. And then I had this guy that made um, mobile phone apps, games. Oh, and, cool. Um, and he he loves Gloucestershire. And he said it's a shame that young people leave Gloucestershire because they think it's boring and go to London or wherever. So he started this website called Rock the Cotswolds to try and get young people to stay in the Cotswolds because it is a fun place, he was saying. Although he had lived in London and came to... Most people like him come to the Cotswolds in their early 30s to have their children because they think it's a lovely place to have children. Um, a couple of... This um, actor who's, uh, who's actually from Basra... And so he said he's getting a lot of work because he speaks Arabic and there's a lot of films being made now about ISIS and all that sort of thing. And because he can speak Arabic and he's got a British passport, you know, he can he they filmed all over the place. But he was really interesting. And he he um, is involved with mental health and young people and tries to do kind of acting things with them to try and get them to express themselves. And that's a cool thing to do. Yeah, it's really interesting, and I get to meet lovely people, and you know they put they put things in my goodie bag which I can auction. So it's a kind of um, a podcast with a charity element. And whereabouts can people find that? It's on all that. It's on Apple, Spotify. Where does she, where does this one go, Rick? All of them. Yeah, Apple, all of them. Spotify, yeah. not YouTube. <laughs> no, been banned off YouTube. Oh, have you? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've um, this is my third YouTube channel I've got, and I've just got a, my second strike on my third one today, so I think I'm going to give up on it. Yeah. They just obviously don't want free speech, and I don't want to be somewhere where people are taking that from you, because like, people must have their say and their opinions, hence why I've got this podcast. Mm-hmm. But um, 
no one will put the description of yours in the link. That'd be Definitely. Great. Yeah. Is it um who and who's your podcast host? Where do you host it Buzz from? Right. And is that a good one? Yeah, Buzzsprite is really good, actually. And it gives you all the analytics. Um, so I, I record them on uh, Zencaster. Right. And then my husband then my husband edits them. He's put the trailer on, all that sort of thing. And then you Buzzsprite send it out to everyone. And then you can see where people have um, listened to it on, you know, wherever. And does, uh, it, like, does that cost you monthly then to host it from there? I think it. I think we paid. I think it's eight pounds a month because we were doing transcripts. But I think he's given up on that because it used to take ages. So, uh, so we wouldn't actually have to pay now. I think Zencaster, the one we record it on, has got two two um, channels, so that if a dog barks or something, he can edit that out of one. And I always interrupt, so he takes me out a lot because I interrupt and <laughs> and he. Takes me out. Less <laughs> speaking, which is probably a good thing. Um, I'm, I'm on. I'm with Podbean, and I think it costs me like. I think I've just paid sixty dollars for the year, and that puts it all out. I think it's on Amazon Music now. Was like, well, and like you know, that's quite a good one. Pod, like sort of Podbean. Um, I've heard of that. I think there's so many. The thing is, is, I was on so many podcasts that I thought I think I'll do this, and then I realised I couldn't do the tech side. So hope, so glad you know, he um, offered to do it, which was good. I've so got how yeah. How long has this been going? This is one minute twenty seconds, fifty one seconds, fifty two seconds now. No, um, I mean, how long have you been? Oh, um, <laughs> sorry, since <laughs> two thousand and eighteen October time. Wow, so you were early into it then. Yeah, and I'm still learning. You're still learning, yeah. Yeah, it's still, um, because it's a fully free speech podcast and it's all unedited, one of the reasons why I wanted to do it is to have anyone on from any, so I've had, I've had trans people on, I've had a drag queen on, I've had Paul Golden on from Britain first, I've had Tommy Tergoose on, I've had Paddy from Emmerdale, I've had the police officer from Emmerdale, I've had Charlie Brooks from EastEnders who plays Janine, um, I've had porn stars, Dominatrix, I've had, Someone who was a getaway driver in an armed robbery. That was quite a good one, Jordan. Um, Dominatrixes, as you know. I've had some friends on. Uh, I've had an MBE on now. I've had other podcasters on. I've had um, a film director that's probably done the world's sickest, goriest films, um, The August Underground. Um, I've had comedians on. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's been really cool. And... You, as like you said, you get to meet a lot of cool people and different yeah. people from different walks of like life. I mean, I had a guy from. I was arguing with him on Twitter, something about Black Lives Matter, saying they've only done that for to like be oh look at me, and then he disagreed. And I said, well, come on my podcast because text is ambiguous and it don't get the point across. And he came on, and it turns out that he was a he's a therapist and he's wrote a book uh, about a twelve step program. But his book doesn't involve God or Jesus because he wanted to do it differently from them like that. So he's been on. I've had authors on. So, um, yeah. And it's like we did actually agree and we did find common middle ground. And like it was so good to do that instead of like arguing Mm. online, calling each other names is which normally happens. Um, And they're just coming on talking. We both saw our points and I said, yeah, you've got a point. He went, yeah, you've got a point. So... Mm. Yeah. 
So, and do you listen to many podcasts? I do, yeah, because I drive for a job, so um, all I do is stick on a podcast. What about yourself? Yeah, well, I started to, obviously, and um, I kind of, I like a mix, really. And I, I'm not a fan of the ones where it's just one person talking constantly. I do like to hear interviews. I do like yes. to hear people's stories. I, I like the stories. Um, so, and it's, it's yeah, it's, it's just a better way. In fact, I wish I read more audio. Well, not read, but I w- wish I got more books on audio because also my eyesight's not that good. If I go to bed and read, the light is terrible. Um, so I could, audio books is the way forward as well, I think. Audible, that's seven ninety nine a month I think that's a, like an Amazon app oh, and uh, you pay seven ninety nine a month and you can just download them yeah I think that would be much better because I listened to uh, a horror one by Ed and Lauren Warren Ed and mm. Lauren Warren about mm. demon hunting <laughs> mm. so do you drive oh. every day so you do miles every day yes I went to Ipswich yesterday to drop some off mm. so that was an experience so, have you noticed how the roads have got busier now? Um, I think I think they started to get busy from Christmas. Mm. I think a lot of people have sort of given up on this yeah. lockdown mm. now. It's it's like sort of I've, I'm, I mean I've had people on my podcast that do this and do that, but they don't fully believe in it. They're just doing it to play the game. Mm. And it'd be just interesting to see how many more people are actually like that, thinking, well, I don't think masks work. I don't think this is good for us, but I'm going to do it anyway. Mm. So, but it's yeah, it's been it's been crazy this year, mm. absolutely crazy. So, are you who's who's the next guest on your podcast? Have you got anyone else coming up? Yeah, I'm just looking in my diary actually, because um, I did this guy who was in L- LA last week. He was um, a film producer and oh, cool. yeah, he was he was really lovely. And he in my in my uh, goodie bag, he put five one hour sessions for um, a student or a young person to talk to him about film production and all that sort of thing, which I could auction that for quite a lot of money, really, for the charity. Um, The next one I'm recording is a guy called Mark Sefton. He is a, well, he's a sort of coach. Everyone seems to be a coach these days. But he's he's a really nice guy, and he's quite, yeah, he's really in touch with his family side. He's very emotional. So I'm going to do him... And um, I've got there's this um, magician called Ricky Locke, who I was on his and I want him to come on mine because he worked for Argos all his life. And then he was a magician as well. He decided to, um, you know, take the plunge and be a professional uh, magician. And three months later, COVID hit and he had all these weddings booked. And so what he did was he had bars of chocolate. He bought bars of chocolate and had the wrapper printed with his his face on, and the date of when he would have been going to do their wedding and sent it out to them the week of their wedding and said, really sorry that your wedding hasn't gone on, but hopefully, you know, we'll have it in the future. I thought, how nice is that? Yeah. And he's, yeah, really nice guy. Again, you know, into doing things for other people. So I'm going to have him on. Um, In fact, I think I've got enough. Mine goes out fortnightly. 
So I've probably got enough at the moment. Uh, I'd like, we're hoping to go away in September and I'd like to have them done so I can go away and not think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Mine's very sporadic. Is it so you don't do weekly or? Do it when I want. I've started a thing called a car cast. So like what I'll do is I like was filming myself just talking about subjects and then putting it on YouTube. Obviously YouTube didn't <laughs> like that sort of thing. So, um, I, I am on brand new tube, which is a complete free speech thing. But yeah, I just try to do it as and when, really, mm-hmm. like, sort of, really. Um, I think I've got, I've got two next week. Mm. I should really get a diary. Yeah, diary would be good. Because I definitely forget. But yeah, I've, I've got two coming on. Um, I've got a few bits people come to me and say can I come on your podcast so I've got about four in. but yeah so, I mean how do you get the people on like yours because I just used to send messages on Instagram Twitter Facebook um well I have this uh I've got an agent who is acting for me with the public speaking and so she knew lots of people I know quite a lot of people from all the things I'm involved with you know we have rugby players that are patrons of the charity and so I know quite a few people around here that I know have got good stories and but I suppose otherwise you can put you can put out I mean I I just had to look up for when I first started looked at podcasters because I contacted you ages ago didn't I about being yours and so if you go into LinkedIn and put podcasters there's masses of them I thought blimey there's loads but um, and then you need to listen to them to see what they're like, even if you have, um, if you and I did think yours was quite wacky. I can't remember which one. Oh, I thank you. <laughs> um, I, I listened to, I've been on a couple of American ones and I was on an Australian one and, uh, the, the American ones are hilarious because they think because I've got an MV, I actually am a personal friend of the Queen. So that's quite interesting. Um, oh, well. um Wanted to know that I, um, you know, if I came to America, would I have dinner with uh, Meghan and Harry? I said, well, you know, I would be quite happy to. Um, so, yeah, it was interesting going on the American ones. And the Australian one was actually a boarding school association one, and that that was quite good. So, oh, you'd be like, I'm home turf for that one. Yeah, I, I wanted to do a sort of round the world in podcasts, 80 days around the world in podcasts. That's a really good idea. I did the Czech Republic last week, a girl there that's got a podcast. So, um, What did yeah. you do her podcast on? She, again, anything really. She, she just, I think it's mainly women, to be honest. I think it's supposed to be inspirational women, uh, women that are happy in themselves. In fact, I'm going to be doing um, a woman who's a biggish woman, but she's really attractive, but she's a sort of plus-size model, and she's all about, you know, like you say, be yourself, be happy in your own skin. Um, she's really bubbly. I can't wait to have her on. And that's yeah. great for girls to know, you know, you haven't got to be a skinny mini and everything, so I'm really looking forward to having her on. Um, now, you've got to be happy with yourself before you can go and help anyone else, because you can't help anyone else if you're not. Yeah your yeah. life sorted yeah that's brilliant stuff which which um episode of my podcast did like you listen to did you say sorry i can't remember it was so long ago but i remember thinking this is wacky um i can't remember what it 
I've listened to so many. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, and I just thought, wow, this this guy is um, definitely a bit off the wall. <laughs> Everyone says that. And then I thought I'd send you a LinkedIn um, thing and see, you know, what happens, really. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm like, going to ask you a question because, like, you've mentioned them a few times. What like, do you feel about Har- about Harry and Meghan? Um, well, I think... Now, just remember, you might be meeting the other side <laughs> in a few months. I think that... Um, it's really my my husband's got one view and I've got a different one. I think it's for him, for Harry. I think he was worried that the same thing would happen to Meghan that happened to his mother, and I think that you know all the. Although I know that people think that they want all the attention, I think um, no, I, no, she wants to be all like hold the attention. Well, she's a narcissist. She's a narcissist. Oh, she is. Come on. She's, like, got a deal now with, like, Netflix. They're, like, they're like going on this Patreon thing for the vaccinated concerts. She's got exactly what she wanted. And I don't believe that she didn't fly because she was pregnant. I don't think she was just wanted here. And she's very lucky she hadn't gone the same way as Diane did. Well, I think that's the, that's the issue. And I just... And watching... Oh, watching Harry and William walk behind... Um, Prince Philip the other day. I mean, for them, I just I just said to a friend, you know, that's they had to walk behind their mother, and now they're walking. It must have brought back all those memories, I would say, because yeah. they were boys then. So I really feel for them. Really. Well, yeah, she's certainly done a number on the family. I mean, I'm like not a royalist in like the slightest, but I think she's um, she's done what she wants to do, and I think she's set a massive wedge in between the brothers. I hope that. Well, so we haven't really, because he's obviously gone back. I hope they did have a really good chat, and you know, because you see so many families. Well, I, I just think it's really sad when families don't get on. I know you can't choose your family, and you can choose your yeah. friends. Yeah. I just do think it's really sad when families don't get on. Really. I mean, the only good thing I've ever said. Well, not that's like bad of me to say, but the palace did play a blinder. I think after, like after that interview. And like they came back with a brilliant response, just saying by saying we're always here for everything. Like they ever need us. The, like well, no callous because like she was proper digging in. And mm. when people pulled that interview apart, they like sort of said, well, no, they didn't get married three years before this, and you could not have been prince anyway because it doesn't work like that. But mm. she put it in such a way, and you've also just said yourself about how Americans don't really understand how it works. Mm. So they'll take care at face value. So. Mm. It's a I shame. Think it's sad. I think it's sad, yeah, very. But there you go. I'm going to let you get on. But thank <laughs> you so much for coming on. Um, I will thank put all you your. Me. I'm honoured no. that you've had me. Thanks for coming on the Crazy Podcast. That. <laughs> <laughs> wacky. I said wacky. A wacky podcast, sorry. Yeah, it's been really good. Um, I'll put all your details about your charities and like that in the um, description. Do you want me to give you them, or have you got them? Do you want to say it to everybody on here, and then if you can send me them, I'll put them on the description. So everything, what you want to be found, say now, and then if you send me it, we can do it from there. 
Well, you can find me on all the social media channels, even though you don't like the Well, you won't be, Rick, but um, I'm on all the social media channels on Julie Kent MBE, and I've got a website, juliekentmbe.com, and you can see me play the saxophone, Baker Street, on my website. And um, and my charities are the Pied Piper Appeal, which is a children's charity in Gloucestershire, Cheltenham Open Door, which is the homeless charity, and Goals Beyond Grass, which is young people playing football in power chairs. So Really? And yeah, it's 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 lovely. They have like a powered wheelchair with a plate on the front, and you should see how they spin round in school goals. And they're like teenagers. And, and I used to fix them for a job. I and I like used to be a mobility scooter tech, like technician for seven years. Oh, well, we buy them from New Zealand, I think. But, New Zealand. Um, yeah, because they were cheaper, I think, and then you put them together when they get here. I can hardly go backwards and forwards in them, let alone control a football on the front plate. I'm just rubbish. The main yeah. thing to do is charge a mate to 12 hours after every use. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, it's, and it's the battery don't hold, and, like, the memories, and people will just see them green lights go, and mm. will think it's full. But as soon as you move your chair, then green lights will drop, because all the like power the amps are pulling from like the motor and that oh, the motor's pulling power from them like the batteries but anyway <laughs> <laughs> but anyway those are my charities so um love you to um have a look at them and but obviously what are you, whatever those charities are up by you wherever you live just do something for them yeah if you send me everything well, I might get it all on. And if you ever want me to come on your podcast, I will do. And you're I, always welcome back on mine. Oh, thanks. Well, I need that, that buzzer for you. Actually, you didn't swear, so that was all right, Rick. No, I didn't. I was, I've sort of got that switch. Like, if um, if you're around family members or that, like, you don't tend to swear. But if I go to work, it will just automatically be there. Yeah. Or if I'm with my friends, automatically be. It's because when I used to come home from school and swear in front of my mum and dad, I used to get a clip from the ear. <laughs> so quite right the, the, there's a right and wrong there's a right place and a wrong place to swear yeah exactly. you've just got to be thank respectful you. about it thank you so much for having me that's it and good fun well thank you take bye. care cheers bye 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 the Tim Biscuits podcast